This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. Libby Snymer is off this weekend. I'm Jane Brown. This week, Toronto's Baycrest, a global leader in aging brain health, received a very generous $1 million donation from the estate of Anne Tannenbaum. Today, Susan Sutton, president of the Baycrest Foundation, will talk about the different ways the money will be put to use and the innovative ways they are approaching the challenges of an aging population. Plus, summer is slowly winding down, and for most of us, that means the end of the holiday season and a return to the day-to-day demands of the workplace. Office stress is an increasing problem in today's world, one that might have serious impacts on your mental and physical health. How to deal? Dr. David Posen will give us his top tips a little later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. End-of-life issues were a hot topic at the Canadian Medical Association convention in Calgary this last week. But Health Minister Rona Ambrose says the federal government does not plan on changing its position on the matter of physician-assisted deaths. The issue has generated plenty of debate, but little consensus. The president of the Quebec Medical Association says proposed legislation in his province includes assisted death as a choice for individuals nearing the end of their lives. Dr. Laurent Marcoux says it's not a case of legalizing euthanasia, but giving patients the right to choose. The founder of Zoomer Media, Moses Neimer, is co-lead patron of Dying with Dignity Canada. The national member-based organization advocates for end-of-life options. A man wanted in more than a dozen cases of defrauding seniors has been arrested in Vancouver. The so-called nephew bandit has evaded capture for the past five years. He was even featured on the television show America's Most Wanted. Vancouver Police Sergeant Randy Fincham says 57-year-old Richard Earl Rupert had targeted a series of elderly people by befriending them and then defrauding them. Rupert is wanted on 18 warrants in British Columbia, Alberta and Ontario related to charges of fraud, robbery and break and enter. This week, we said goodbye to one of the foremost crime writers in the United States, Elmore Leonard. His books were populated by pathetic schemers, clever con men, and casual killers. His novels, such as Out of Sight, Get Shorty, and Be Cool, were made into films. Earlier in his career, the man known to friends as Dutch wrote Western novels and stories, but his major commercial success did not come until the 1980s. He passed away Tuesday morning of complications from a stroke. Elmore Leonard was 87. And finally, we've all been on them, but do diets really work? 
A new study by the Journal of the American Medical Association says yes, but cutting out carbs or fat or sugar isn't necessarily the way to do it. Researchers found only a small difference in weight loss between specific diets. Dr. Sherry Pagodo of the University of Massachusetts Medical School says cutting back on what you would normally eat is better than jumping on the latest diet craze. I'm Jane Brown, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, Baycrest, Toronto's global leader in aging brain health and innovations in care, received a $1 million gift from the estate of Anne Tannenbaum. How will this generous donation be put to use? We've reached Susan Sutton, president of the Baycrest Foundation, in her office. So we have, as you know, the Rotman Research Institute, which is one of the many components here at uh, Baycrest that focuses on aging brain health, everything from um, you know, basic science that informs the care that we provide to basic science that helps us understand the uh, genesis of age-related disorders and dementia and ways to stem the tide. And, and so this million-dollar contribution from the Tannenbaum family represents a very unique aspect of need in the um, arena of scientific research in Canada and really worldwide, and that is that new researchers that are up and coming don't have a track record that necessarily draws attention from established funders to their work. And yet some of these researchers can contribute immeasurably to the body of science that is needed to address these issues. And so the Kickstart grant program is uh, particularly useful and uh, I guess um, indicative of Larry's real understanding of where uh, dollars can take an organization furthest, fastest, and that is by investing in young investigators who otherwise would be overlooked by established funders based on their lack of track record. So this uh, million-dollar infusion, it's an endowed gift, gives us the opportunity to establish significant and continued funding for these researchers as they evolve here at Baycrest. Susan, tell us about what the researchers are finding in, in their research about the way the brain ages. So, for instance, are we predestined to our own individual brain health? I think there's a combination of what you're genetically predisposed to uh, and uh, lifestyle and uh, environmental factors. And so some of the more unique work that we're doing here is uh, in you know, lifestyle and the continuum of life uh, as it relates to how we can impact the aging process on our brain. So mm-hmm. everything from the impact of music on a child's brain and how, how that helps them learn is, uh, is transferable to how it can help an elderly person retain and sustain uh, brain function. So we may be Um, able to slow down the aging process in the brain. Exactly, exactly. We're finding that in addition to environmental factors, that there are physiologic factors such as uh, cardiovascular exercise, uh, nutrition. We've uh, recently published a mindful for brain-healthy foods. Uh, which is uh, now going out in uh, hard copy, uh, being published by HarperCollins. So we have uh, contributed to the body of science up to this point, but there are a lot of things that we're still learning um, and uh, hoping to understand about this process. Use of technology and innovation um, is key to that, the kinds of stimulus that we can provide to people that in one way or another helps them retain um, their, their brain function. So, uh, you know, we have a, 
a, a whole spectrum of research that's done here. Um, but I'd say that if, if you were to generically look at the, the areas that we focus on, it would be in uh, genetic factors, environmental factors, lifestyle factors, and, and how we can impact um, each of those. Well, you certainly got my attention, as I'm sure uh, those out there listening to AM740, about brain-healthy foods. And it is around the lunch hour right now. Uh, <laughs> can you just give us a, like a quick list of foods that we should be eating to make sure that our brain stays healthy? <laughs> so um, almonds, salmon, fresh fruits, uh, really it almost corresponds to the Mediterranean diets, low fat, but the right kinds of fat. You combine that with, you know, certainly moderate alcohol intake and exercise, and you'll have a much greater chance at uh, retaining and sustaining your, your brain health. And literally exercising your brain as well, right? Like playing bridge, for instance, and doing lots of reading. That can slow down the aging process. There has been research to suggest that, right? Absolutely. Stimulus is key. And what we're learning here at Baycrest and what we've um, uh, done over the past 100 years of our history is um, recognize the value of that kind of ecosystem system for, for an elderly person that it's, it's art, it's music, it's social connections, it's really a, uh, uh, the gestalt of life that really can uh, create a, a, a situation where it, it retains uh, people's functioning. And so we emphasize that here at Baycrest, so you'll see that aesthetics are as important as uh, nutrition, as uh, are as important to the basic care that we provide. So it is a holistic approach, and it, it does emphasize some of those aesthetic aspects of life that uh, we have found can can actually help retain and sustain brain function. Really nice speaking with you today, Susan. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Jane. Take care. You can keep up to date with many of Baycrest's projects online at baycrest.org. I'm Jane Brown, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Summer is coming to an end, vacation season is over, and for many that means a return to the workplace and maybe a return to stress. How to deal with the increasing demands of your office? Dr. David Poston will give us his prescription for workplace stress in just a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown. Does your boss keep telling you to do more with less? Are your deadlines unrealistic? Or maybe office politics are getting you down? Dr. David Posen has a prescription for workplace stress, and he shared it with our Libby Snymer. People can cope with stress to a certain extent, but if the workplace is generating stress faster than people can dissipate it, then the workplace needs to do something to start changing the culture and the system itself. It's a systemic problem. It needs a systemic solution. Every workplace has some people who are stressed and some people who are not. That's a very good point, and we all have different levels of tolerance. I'm not advocating a stress-free workplace or some, you know, laid-back spa or something like that. But the other piece is that the workplace is getting more stressful, and more and more people are falling off, even the ones who are resilient, even the ones that have been able to handle it in the past. What are the triggers of workplace stress? So volume of work is one. The second is velocity. The pace of the workplace has speeded up. Email, deadlines are tighter and so on, and people are running faster and faster to try to keep up, and it's daunting for so many people. And the third is abuse. 
That relates to not just difficult people in the workplace, but people who are frankly abusive, harassing, you know, bullying, that kind of stuff. It goes on the workplace far more than I realized. I hear this more from my patients than anywhere else. And I'm always astonished. It's bad enough that it's happening. But what I can't figure out is why do they get away with it? Why does this continue? And I think in most places they know who the bad actors are and they're just not dealing with it. And, and the misery that that causes is not only huge and substantial, but one abusive person in a workplace, a bad boss, for example, can really create havoc for you know, dozens of people who work under that person. How do you deal with office politics? Well, I think, and by the way, I think a lot of this stuff is going to be inevitable to some extent. So we're we're not talking about some totally stress-free zone or anything where all of this is eliminated. But I think the more overt and obvious aspects of it need, first of all, to be labeled. People need to start looking at this and stop pretending it's not there. We know these things are happening, but nobody seems to want to address them. So the first thing is awareness, acknowledging and admitting that it's happening. And then to start raising people's consciousness and to start, first of all, pulling out some of the people who are the real perpetrators and the bad actors, but also, you know, just as they've done with diversity training and and the whole issue of sexual harassment and so on and raising people's awareness about what's acceptable and start to having these conversations about what's really happening, the effect it's having, the cost, because by the way, it's not just a cost of people's feelings or their health, it's costing the bottom line. Does it ever come down to a question of maybe the people who are feeling so stressed just are not entirely qualified for the jobs they're trying to do? I get patients telling me, I'm in over my head. And so you get people promoted into positions that they're not only not qualified for, but then they're not given the proper training and ongoing training. And if you then add to the fact that those people are now stressed and they're not behaving very well or handling it well because they're just trying to cope and keep their head above water too, uh, it's a bad mix. You say the first step is to identify what your personal stress triggers are. Right. So how do you do that? Just getting people to recognize that when they say work stress, it actually may be coming from only one area of their work. They may feel, for example, that they're being asked to do too much work on weekends. Um, It may be that they're being asked to write reports that they don't feel comfortable for or to use technology that they don't have the uh, expertise to use. And to kind of narrow it down and then say, okay, what can you do about this? Sometimes it's workload, sometimes it's other people, and, and then when you get it really in focus, then you can start to address it. If it's other people, what do you do? Sometimes it's just avoid those people if you can, but sometimes it's a matter of realizing you've been taking it personally and it's not personal because they're doing it to other people too. And sometimes just talking to other people and realizing you're not alone is helpful for people. So it depends on what the circumstances are. What if, if it's can, your boss? Talk to your boss candidly, openly, and say, this is what's on your mind, this is what you're struggling with, and see whether you can develop some kind of of rapport or understanding or whatever on their part. And sometimes the boss will say, you're kidding. I didn't realize any of that. Another strategy I sometimes use with people is I ask them, is there a way to build bridges? Sometimes a difficult boss is just somebody you're misreading. What else to boil it down? The workplace is getting more stressful. People are really struggling, and and we're all stakeholders, and everybody can make a contribution to help to fix this problem. But it's not going away. It's getting worse, and we need to talk about it. Okay, well, big mountain to climb. Thank you so much for joining (laughs) us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Libby.
That interview first ran in February of this year. I'm Jane Brown, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. In just a moment, we'll pay tribute to the great American composer, Leonard Bernstein. Today would have been his 93rd birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Jane Brown for Libby's Nimer. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. In New York City, Zoomer actors Betty Buckley, Hallie Foote, and Lois Smith star in the world premiere of The Old Friends. It's the story about news that deeply affects two Texas farming families by the late playwright Horton Foote. Signature Theatre Company founding artistic director James Houghton says putting on this show is bittersweet. Horton himself isn't with us, but in a way, um, his voice is uh, through the work and our direct relationship to that play and to him. The Signature Theatre is on West 42nd Street. To Los Angeles, where the Academy Award-winning Tim Robbins directs a production of William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's at the Actors Gang Theatre in Culver City. In London, England, there's still time to catch the British Museum's major exhibition on Pompeii and Herculaneum. 250 artifacts are on display from these Roman cities, which were buried by the volcanic eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And in Tokyo, the Mori Art Museum takes on the theme of love. 200 works ranging from Chagall to Kusama and Hatsune Miko are on display. I'm Jane Brown, and that's your International Arts Datebook. Maria, I've just met a girl named Maria, and suddenly that name... Today, legendary American Leonard Bernstein would have celebrated his 93rd birthday. Throughout his career, he straddled the line between being a classical composer and a contemporary one. He wrote numerous ballets, choral works, orchestral suites, and three very acclaimed symphonies. He was also one of the 20th century's prominent conductors, leading the New York Philharmonic through many of their historic performances and recordings. However, perhaps his best-known work was on the Broadway musical West Side Story, the tale of two lovers from rival gangs set in the Upper West Side of New York City. And that's what we'll hear today. Here's the musical's breakout hit, Tonight. Tonight, tonight, it all began tonight. I saw you and the world went
world is full of light With suns and moons all over the place Tonight, tonight The world is wild and bright Going back, shooting sparks into Tonight, music by the great Leonard Bernstein from West Side Story. Bernstein would have celebrated his 93rd birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Jane Brown. Libby Snymer will be back next week. Be sure to tune in and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Van Dream. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.